Amen. Thank you, Gray. Well, welcome to Harvest. Let me say that to you all. And if you're new with us, my name is Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. Here's what I want you to do. Look to the person next to you and say this, man, you sounded good today. Just go ahead. You guys sounded amazing today. You, you sounded so good. Uh, it, was, it was just a joy. Sometimes I would stop singing just to listen. Um, and what an amazing thing that that was. And if you were here last week, I hope that's because as we dived into this three-week series, we'll finish this up next week, that you were reminded last week, why in the world do we even sing? And we've entitled this series, Voice Lessons, Teaching Your Heart to Sing. So whether you're a soprano or an alto or a tenor or a baritone or a bass or you don't know what you are or you're absolutely tone deaf, like what we're doing and what we've done in this, in these first 30 minutes is a powerful spiritual thing that we're commanded by God in his word to do. And, and so that's really what we've been looking at in this series. We kicked it off last week, like I said, teaching your heart to sing. Here's what I mean by that. This is on your screen. Here's what we mean by this, that when you are worshiping God, you are singing with more than your mouth. Like that's what we're aiming for. That you're singing with more than your mouth. You are singing with your heart. And it's the heart that God desires to be in tune with him. I don't care if you're tone deaf today. Like what God wants to make sure is you could be an opera singer in here today. And be able to outsing every person in this room today. But if your heart's out of tune, it's a problem. That's what we're about. That's what we want to see as we get into God's word, as we looked at it last week in Psalm 96, as we're going to look at it today in Psalm 63. If you want to turn in your Bibles, that's where we're going to be here in a few moments. But it's really, man, more than singing with my mouth, let me make sure that my heart is stirred up. Because when my heart is stirred up and my heart's in tune with God and my heart's right with God and my relationship with God is in tune and is right and I'm living my life, though not perfectly, but I'm striving to live my life according to the Bible. When I sin, I confess it and, and I'm in tune with him. Man, the byproduct is I'm not going to be able to keep my mouth shut. I can't help but sing. That's what we're about. That's what we want to do and remind ourselves of in this series. Last week, as I said, we looked at Psalm 96, which is really the passage of Scripture that is foundational to our philosophy of worship here at this church. Gray mentioned it. It's, where our, it's how we choose our songs, going from one, which is a one song, which is pointing our attention to God. That's what we start off with every week, to a five song that we just sang that completely focuses our attention on the greatness of God. That's, that Psalm 96 is the foundational passage of Scripture to why we do what we do in this church. And last week we really answered three very practical questions, but three very fundamental questions. The first one was, if you were here last week, and if you weren't, you can subscribe to our podcast. You can watch it on our website, harvestws.org. But 
What we looked at was three foundational questions. Number one, who am I singing to? Like when we gather together, what we just did, who are we singing to? And we saw that we're not singing to our spouse. We're not singing to so that our kids can see us sing. We're not singing so our life group leader can see us sing. We're not singing to Gray. We're not singing with the band ultimately. We have an audience of one, and that one is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that we're singing to. Can we all clap again? Thank you, the three people who clapped. We're singing to an audience of one. That's who we're singing to. Then we looked at, why do I even sing? Why am I supposed to sing? I'm not really a big, you may say, man, I'm really not in, that into music. I, like, I listen to talk radio all the time. I never listen to music in my house, on my phone, never in my ears, never in my car. Why do I, why am I supposed to sing? Well, we saw in Psalm 96 because it's commanded. So really I have a choice. Am I going to obey or am I going to disobey God? It's really our choices because it's commanded. But then we also saw that another motivation is because the character of our God. How great he is, how awesome he is, how majestic he is, how much he loves you and how much he loves me. That it's his character that motivates me to sing. And then we looked at the third question Well, how do I sing? If I'm supposed to sing to the Lord Jesus, he's my audience of one. If I'm supposed to sing because it's commanded and because of God's character, well, how in the world do I sing? And Psalm 96 gave us the answers in that psalm. We sing with our whole heart, with everything that we have. I don't hold anything back. I sing with my whole heart. I sing with a thankful heart that as I sing, I'm motivated to remember All the different times in my life where God has shown himself to be faithful, I sing with a thankful heart. I sing with a reverent heart because I'm reminded that I'm not just singing to anybody. I'm singing to the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of the universe. Like I sing with a reverent heart and I sing with a surrendered heart because in Psalm 96 it says, say this, the Lord reigns. That oftentimes when I'm singing in corporate worship, what what that singing does is it reminds me, man, this week I've been living my life as I reign, as if I reign. But as I'm singing, what it's doing is it's breaking down those walls and it's bringing confession and I'm declaring to God, wait a minute, Lord, even though I've lived my life like I'm the one that's reigning, Lord, I'm reminded today that you are the one that reigns. See, I sing with a surrendered heart. And this morning we find ourselves in Psalm 63 and we're going to answer this question. Why do I raise my hands in worship? Why do I do that? Why do you do that? Before we answer that question, let me give you a little context of what we're going to look at today in Psalm 63 because I think it's foundational for us to, mo- to understand the motivation behind wit- why we raise our hands in worship. See, Psalm 63 is written by David, King David. He wrote a majority of the Psalms. And in Psalm 63, many people believe that the context in which David is writing this is David is fleeing for his life in the wilderness because his son Absalom wants to take over his kingdom. See, Absalom was bitter against his father, David, because he felt like his father had mistreated him. So over a four-year time period, Absalom is campaigning behind his father's back to win the hearts of the people. And so what Absalom does is he sets up himself as king in Hebron, which is in Israel, and starts asking people and motivating people to worship him as king. And instead of David addressing that and dealing with that, what David does is he takes his most loyal people and he flees to the wilderness because Absalom wants to kill his father. 
And it's in the wilderness that David writes this psalm. But if you continue on in that story, and this story is actually found in 2 Samuel, um, let me see here, 2 Samuel verses chapters 15 through 19. So if you want to write in your Bible next to Psalm 63, 2 Samuel 15 through 19, that's the time period that David is writing this psalm. David is in the wilderness and David assembles his mighty men and his soldiers, and they go to battle against Absalom's soldiers, and over 20,000 men are killed, and one of those is Absalom. In that story, Absalom has this long, flowing hair that I'm sure I could be jealous of, and he's riding in battle, and his hair actually gets caught in the trees, and he's hanging there, and Joab, who is his general head of his army, King David's army, kills Absalom, and Absalom dies. But it's in the wilderness, before this battle takes place, that David writes this psalm. And what we're going to see in this psalm is it's interesting that the one outward sign or expression that David makes mention of as a sign of him praising his God is the lifting up of hands. You could have mentioned a lot of different outward expressions, but the one that he emphasizes that we're going to see in this psalm is this lifting up of hands. And here's one, what, what lifting up of hands means. It's just simply an outward expression that communicates that you're seeking God, you're praising God, you're longing for God. It's an outward expression that communicates what your spiritual desire is, and that's the motivation behind it. But some of us may still be like, well... Is that really something that we find in the Bible? And what I think is interesting is the Bible not only permits this posture, but it actually encourages it. Listen to these verses. Psalm 28, 2 says, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help. Listen to this. When I lift up my hands toward the most holy sanctuary. Psalm 134, 2 says this. Lift up your hands to the holy place. And bless the Lord. 1 Timothy 2.8, speaking of in a posture of prayer, says this. I desire that in every place the man should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. I think it's interesting that Paul addresses the guys. Because it's us guys who think, man, I'm too macho to raise my hands. I just think it's interesting that Paul says, hey, make sure the dudes are encouraged to raise their hands. And then we're going to see it in Psalm 63, 4. Now here's what I know. Some of you in here come from very traditional backgrounds. And I want you to know that I identify with you. Because those of you who know my story, I'm a pastor's kid. I was born in the church. I don't remember anything else but being in a church. And the church, church tradition that I grew up in, man, we didn't raise our hands. You know why? Because we had two hands on the hymnal. That's why we didn't raise our hands. Not that there's anything wrong with hymnals. But that was our culture, man. Like, you sang, you stood at attention, you sang the first, second, and fourth verse. For some reason, there was something always wrong with the third verse. I don't understand why. But that's what you did. And I grew up in that. And I remember the first church that I worked at at a seminary. You know, we were, 
we were, it was still somewhat a traditional church, and I remember we would sing hymns, and we would sing, we called them choruses, we would sing choruses, and I remember there was this one lady, I can't remember her name, but I literally can picture it, like if this was that auditorium in northern Pennsylvania, she sat in the very back to my left, and she would raise her hand, and she was the only lady in the whole place who did it. And I remember looking at her and saying, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. See, I knew every one of these passages of Scripture. I knew what God's Word says. I knew it wasn't forbidden to raise your hands. I knew that if you raised your hands, it didn't mean next Sunday you'd be rolling in the aisles, foaming at the mouth. Like, like I knew that. And so I remember the first time that I raised my hands, I was 24 years old. 24. And I remember it was at Milestone Baptist Church. It was, and I remember like before that every Sunday going into church saying, today's going to be the day. Today's going to be the day that I'm going to raise my hand. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely not going with two first. I'm just going to start off with one. Today's going to be the day I'm going to raise my hand. And I go into church now, granted, I'm a pastor working at the church. Don't forget that. I'm not just sitting in the pew as a regular attender. I'm a pastor of a church. And I remember saying, man, today's the day I'm going to raise my hand. And you know how many Sundays I can think of where I walked out of there and I was like, I chickened out. I didn't raise my hand. I mean, I can remember countless Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And I wanted to raise my hand so bad, but I never could get it up. And I remember the first Sunday that I raised my hand, I literally had to force my hand to go up. And let me tell you, it wasn't like this. It was probably like this. It's probably like this. And I remember the first time it wasn't natural. It didn't feel natural. But in my heart, I knew what God's word says. And I was like, God, for so long, for whatever reason, probably good intentions, but for so long I felt restricted that that's just not what we do, even though we could see it clearly in Scripture. And I didn't want to worship that way. And for the first time I had to force my hand up, and it felt so awkward, and it felt so weird. But you know why I was doing it? I was doing it because I didn't want to worship in a constraining way. I wanted to worship in a free way, reminding myself of who I was worshiping, that that audience of one, and that may be you. You're like, man, I come in here every Sunday, and I'm like, today's going to be the day. Today's going to be the day. And you go back in your home, and today's not the day. You may have been like, man, I wanted to raise my hand so bad in, those song, in that last song that we just sang, but I couldn't do it. I want you to see today in God's word why we raise our hands in worship. And I want to give you four reasons Four reasons why we raise our hands. And hear me say this. I want to make a caveat statement. I want to be clear that I'm not saying like as soon as the first song gets started, it's like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Man, my arms are getting tired. I don't know how much longer I can hold them up. But if I lower my hands, I'm doing something wrong. That's not what we're talking about. We don't need one more legalistic chain. You don't need that. I'm talking about, no, no, let's understand why we do it. Let's have the motivation behind it be what it needs to be. Not because I'm saying so, because of what it communicates. It's an outward expression of a spiritual desire inside of your heart. And so here's the first reason. It's found in verse 1 of Psalm 63. 
Look at what it says in verse 1. I told you we'd get there. Psalm 63.1, David says this, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now remember, David's writing this in the wilderness. He's fearful of his life. So understanding the context brings greater, greater clarity to the words that David is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So here's the first reason why. We raise our hands in worship. Number one, it's an outward expression that communicates my need for God. Your need for God. My need for God. See, here's what we need to understand. Whatever I believe I need the most is what I worship the most. Think about it. Whatever today you believe you need the most, I promise you that's probably what you're worshiping the most. Think about it. Maybe you're in here and you're looking for a new home. Man, I remember how crazy a process that is when you're looking for a new house. Every day you're combing the MLS. Every day. What about this one? What about that one? Let me make categories of these are the homes that we really want. And if that one gets taken, then here's the second option and here's the third option. And, and for some of us, man, that is paramount on our mind. And if we were honest, that's what you're worshiping the most right now because that's what you believe you need the most. Or maybe you bought that house and, and now you got to decorate it and now you got to fix it up and now you got to put new this and new that. And, and, you, and those of us who've done that know how all-consuming that can be. And if we're really honest right now, you'd probably say, you know what, if I really had to think about it, that's what I'm worshiping the most right now because that's what I believe I need the most. If you're a college student or a high school student and guys, you're like, man, if that girl would just say yes to me, to go out on a date with me, then I'd be cooking with gas. She'd just say yes. Because right now you believe, man, that's, that's what I need the most. And so that's all you can think about. And really, that's probably what you're worshiping the most. Or girls, maybe you're like, man, if he would just notice me. If he just notice me. Because maybe that's what you believe. And we could go on and on with whatever it is, whatever possession, whatever thing. Because what we believe we need the most, we worship the most. And the reason why I say that is because what I see in this passage of Scripture, that it is in the darkest of times in the desert that David declares that what he needs the most above anything else is his relationship with God. None of us would judge David to say if David said in this psalm, Lord, I want my kingdom back. Lord, I really love the menu today that I had when I was in my kingdom. Lord, I love my bed today. Lord, I love my title for people to worship me today. I mean, David could have said a lot of different things that we would say, well, he was king, so yeah, I could see him saying that. He doesn't say any of that. I find that so interesting. That above everything else, David could have said that he yearned after, that he thirsted after, that he sought after, that he says, my greatest need is my need for God. And when my need for God is realized and acknowledged and appreciated, here's what happens. I understand and I acknowledge who God is, that he's the mighty one. 
Because it's actually interesting that the way that that's translated in the Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament is written in, it's, it literally says this, Oh God, you are my mighty one. Like David's like at a point where he's like, man, I've been stripped of everything, so here's what I realize. God, what I need most in my life right now is you. You are the mighty one. You are the one that's in control. You're the one that can change my circumstances. You're the one that has all the power. You are the mighty one. But here's what else he acknowledges. Here's what else motivates him to say that he has a need for God. Is he understands not only is God the mighty one, but that he has a relationship with the mighty one. Did you notice what it says? It says... God, you are my God, that I have an actual relationship with this mighty one, and that nothing can sever that relationship. And that's what my heart longs for more than anything else. And rarely, right? Think about it in your life. I think about it in my life. And I wish my heart wasn't this way. But so often in the times of abundance, I don't have this need. I don't have this thirst. I don't have this desire. So often in times of abundance, but it's when everything is stripped away. It's in the times of the wilderness that some of you are in right now. It's in the times of darkness when circumstantially everything seems dark that you understand in a way that cannot be understood in any other way. And what I really need is my relationship with my Jesus. And when I raise my hands in worship, I do that. One of the ways that I do that is I do that. One of the reasons I do that is because I want to outwardly express what my heart is feeling. That, Lord, right now, the words that I am singing, God, I am raising my hands to declare that I need you. Here's a second reason, and it's found in verses 3 and 4 is that it's an outward expression, the raising of my hands. It's an outward expression that communicates my praise to God. That God, I'm here to praise you. Nobody else. I'm here to praise you. Look at what it says in verses two through four. It says, so I've looked upon your sanctuary. God, I understand that you're my greatest need, verse one. So I've looked upon your sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. And in your name, here it is, I will lift up my hands. It's to communicate praise to God. See, so often when I sing, you know what it does? It takes the focus off myself and my circumstances. I mentioned last week, I'm no different than you. The devil does his greatest work right before I drive into this place. Whether that's with my kids, whether that's something that's said to me in the lobby, whatever it may be, to get my focus off. And I am naive to think that most of us don't walk into this room with so many things on, my, on our minds. But when I say, wait a minute, I'm putting all that to the side and I'm going to worship and I'm going to sing with all my heart, with a thankful heart, with a reverent heart, with a surrendered heart, and I'm going to sing. You know what begins to happen is my focus is taken off of those things and my focus is put where it needs to be, where? To my audience of one. 
And David says, here's what I know I need to do. I need to remember the times that I got to look upon you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory. See, David is remembering the times that he was able to go to the temple and, or to the tabernacle and worship God. I'm gonna think back to that, God. I'm gonna think back to how you're worthy of my praise even when my circumstances don't seem to indicate it. God, you're worthy of my praise and I'm going to lift up my hands. But did you notice What David gives, look at it, verse 3, what David gives as the motivation for his praise. He doesn't say, God, I can't wait till I get my kingdom back. And when I think about that, Lord, that's the motivation for me to praise. When, When you give me back what I lost. He doesn't say that. But what he does says is, here's the reason why I praise. Here's the reason why I lift my hands. Because your steadfast love is better than life. It's better than life itself. And when I bring myself back to the realization that I have been given unconditional love by a holy God through Jesus Christ, that Romans 8.1, that there is no condemnation found to those who are in Christ Jesus. That if I put my faith and trust, not in the good that I can do, but in the perfection that Jesus Christ lived for me, and the death that he died on the cross for my sin, and that he rose again three days later, if I place my hope and my trust for my salvation in what Jesus Christ has done for me, there's no more condemnation. That God sees me as perfect, even though I'm not right now. He sees me through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if that's not reason to sing, I don't know what is. And that Romans 5a communicates that in the midst, in the depth, in the worst part of my life, that's when God loved me the most. David says, when I think about that, your steadfast, your hesed, your covenant love that nothing or no one is going to break. That when I think about that, I have every reason to raise my hands and praise you. I'm not raising my hands because someone's going to think that I'm not worshiping if I don't raise my hands. That's not why I'm raising my hands. I'm not raising my hands because Johnny told me to raise my hands. I'm not raising my hands for any other motivation that I am praising God because of his unconditional, steadfast love. That's what motivated David in the times of the desert. Because even though he circumstantially was in the desert, his heart sure was not. Because he was reminded of his motivation to praise. Here's a third reason, and it's found in verse 5. Look at what David continues to say. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Now, sometimes we love to make Bible characters superhuman. I'm pretty sure David was not eating filet mignon or prime rib right now in the cave. Like, we got a picture here of the Judean desert. Probably not too many cows roaming there that would make a good steak, right? Probably not. I don't see any water. It's one of the most barren areas in the entire world. That's where David was. But yet in this barren time, he says, my soul, what makes up my inner being, is satisfied with you 
as I would be with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. See, here's the third reason why I lift my hands. is because it communicates my satisfaction with God above everything else. See, I could raise my hands to a lot of things because what we say, what I believe I need the most, I worship the most, I could raise my hand to a lot of things. God, thank you for that new car. God, thank you for that new house. God, I'm satisfied with that new promotion. God, I'm satisfied with this. And we could figuratively we raise our hands for all those things, but David says, no, no, no. Here's why I'm raising my hands. Because my soul is satisfied with the one thing that can never be taken away from me. See, I love my wife dearly. And God forbid God would ever bring her home to heaven before me. But if all my satisfaction is found in my spouse and God, God, God forbid takes her from me, where am I going to be? God forbid my kids were taken from me, where would I be? this church, if my identity and my satisfaction is wrapped up in being on the stage and being the pastor of this church, where am I going to be if that's taken away? And we can mention thing after thing. See, the reality is, is when my satisfaction is ultimately placed in any other thing than my relationship with God, I am not living in security. I'm living in insecurity. And David is brought to a point in his life where he realizes this in such a great way that my ultimate satisfaction is found in the one thing that can never be taken away. And it's in those desert times when we realize that the most. And it's one of the reasons why sometimes God allows us to go through those desert times. It's because he wants us to grow in a greater way of understanding that our satisfaction is ultimately found in one person. And that is our relationship with Jesus Christ. So what do we do? Man, it's a reason for me to raise my hands. It's a reason for me to outwardly display, Lord, my satisfaction is in you. Here's the last reason, and we're going to finish up this psalm. Look at verse, it says in, in verses 6 through 11, it says, look at what David says. When I remember you upon my bed, this is so good. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him, all who worship him, all who praise to him, all who understand, acknowledge their need for him, all who understand their satisfaction is found in him. What does it say? By him, all who swear by him shall exult, shall be lifted up, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Listen to me, whatever circumstances you're going through, whatever it is, it's temporary. I'm not minimizing that at all. Hear me on that. 
But when I look at these verses in verses 6 through 11, I see the last reason for raising my hands and that it symbolizes, it's an outward expression that communicates that my security is found in God Almighty. That's where my security is found. Nothing and no one else. And I love that David says in verse 6, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate you in the watches of the night. See, there's a lot of things that can keep us up at night. A lot of things. They can keep us tossing and turning and rolling over. And here's what I found. Most of those things I can't change in the moment, if at all. Like I find that's when my mind starts racing. Isn't that so frustrating that you get woken up in the middle of the night and you start thinking about all the problems and all the situations and what if this happens and what if that happens and and what if I hear this or what if I don't hear this and your mind just starts reeling, right? Like I'm sure all of us can identify with that. And what I think is interesting, I'm sure David thought that, well, what what if I never get my kingdom back? What if my son finds me and kills me? Like where did I go wrong and why didn't I see what his motivation was? And on and on and on and on. But then what he does, he says, wait a minute, I can't change those things. So I'm gonna remind myself that my security is in God Almighty. That that's where it rests. Look at the words that David uses to describe this security. Look at them. They're found in these verses. He says, you have been my help. That word help means rescue. He says, in the shadow of your wings, that I'm reminding myself, God, of your protection. You're my rescue. He says, my soul clings to you. That word clings has the idea of safety. God, you're my safety. And then he uses this phrase that's mentioned often in the Old Testament, that your right hand upholds me. That idea of strength, that Lord, you're my strength. Guys, some of us in this room, when we worship, when we sing, some of us need to raise our hands just because of it reminds us that we're not Superman. That I don't have all the answers. That it's not all about my abilities. That it's not all about my expertise in whatever it is. No, 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 God. I'm going to remind myself as I sing. I'm going to raise my hands to remind myself that my security is in you. Eugene Peterson, who came up with, uh, it's not really a translation. It's more of a paraphrase of the Bible says this, he writes this about Psalm 63, verses two through eight. Here's what he says, it's on your screen. I think this is so good. He says this in interpreting these verses, he says, starting in verse two, he says, so here I am in the place of worship, eyes open, drinking in your strength and your glory. In your generous love, I am living at last. My lips brim praises like fountains. I bless you every time I take a breath. My arms wave like banners of praise to you. I eat my fill of prime rib and gravy. How good does that sound right now? I smack my lips. It's time to shout praises. 
If I'm sleepless at midnight, I spend the hours in grateful reflection because you've always stood up for me. I'm free to run and play. I hold on to you for dear life and you hold me steady as a post. You've had little kids, or you have little kids right now, or maybe you don't have kids yet, you'll find this out, that when your kids are little, and I remember when my kids were little, they used to do this. When they would want something, what would they do? They would raise their hands, right? Daddy, I need this. Daddy, I want you to hold me. I'm scared. And you know, I don't ever remember my kids ever saying, oh man, I'm concerned about who's watching, so I'm not going to raise my hands. They didn't care. Because their greatest thought in that moment when they raised their hands is, I need my dad. I need him. I know who my daddy is, and I'm raising my hands. I understand he can, he can give me what, I'm, what, what I need. My satisfaction is found in my daddy. I'm scared right now. My security is found in my daddy. And kids never think to themselves, I don't care who's watching. This is what I need. And that's what God desires out of every single one of us, every man, woman, and child that's in this place that knows Jesus is their Lord and Savior, is that there is not a hindrance that when we sing and whatever circumstance that we're in, and it may be right now I need to raise my hand and acknowledge that I need God. Right now I need to raise my hands and acknowledge, Lord, I've been praising myself and I'm here to praise you. And so I'm going to raise my hand, raise my hands to acknowledge that. God, I'm going to raise my hands to acknowledge that my satisfaction isn't found in anything else but you. God, right now I'm scared to death. And I have so much anxiety now, now, right now and so much worry. But God, I'm raising my hands to remind myself that my security is in you. And some of you, you're going to have to make yourself do it. That's where it starts. You're going to be like me when I was 24 years old, 17 years ago, where I literally had to say, I'm just going to raise my hand. And it's going to feel awkward, and it's going to feel weird, and I'm going to wonder who else is looking. But Lord, I know that this is about me just worshiping you and cranking up the dial to 10. I want you to stand with me. Because here's what we're going to do. Some of you... This is going to be the first time that you raise your hands. And we're not doing it in a legalistic way. We're not doing it because I said so. No, no, no. We're doing it whether it's because you know you need God today. You know you need to praise God today. You know your satisfaction needs to be found in Him today. Or your security is found in Him. We're raising our hands. We're not walking out of those doors saying today's the day. And then walk out of here saying I didn't do it. We're raising our hands to our Savior. So let's get him up. Let's praise our King. Let's praise our Lord and Savior. He is worthy of our praise. Let's worship Him. Come on. Get him up.